0: Hey everyone, Steve here from Elevenish, a channel where we talk about lucrative investment strategies and opportunities based on the requests from the Eleveners Collective. Today we have John with us who has managed millions and millions of dollars and hang out with the big boys. In the last podcast, we talked about how to get an edge over the professional investors and how to diversify your portfolio so that it's interesting and also maximizes its gain. In this one, we're going to talk about exit strategies. And specifically, we're going to focus on three things. One is why we should set an exit strategy, ideally before you actually buy the stock. How do you figure out what your exit strategy is? And then lastly, what happens if the number you've had in mind was hit way before you originally anticipated? So without further ado, hey, John, how's it going?
1: Hey, Steve. Thanks for having me on.
0: My pleasure. All right, so let's uh, let's dive right in. Can you share with us your thoughts around you know why you should know once you sell ideally before you buy a stock
1: yeah first part it's a good part of the thought process because you're kind of already considering when to buy or just by buying a stock whether um, you know you think of that <clears throat> as something that you're monitoring or just you're pulling the trigger ultimately there is a value to each of these things um, whether it's it's based on some type of you know valuation methodology that you're using And frankly, a lot of other people are probably using some of the same ones, whether it's a DCF or some type of market multiple or or some type of other assumptions. So knowing when something is uh, relatively expensive or has a lot of upside assumptions baked in, or in the case of a short, a lot of downside assumptions uh, baked in, then that helps you understand, you know, where we are. Um, in terms of like but to use a knowledge of a baseball game, which inning are you are you in? Uh, mm-hmm. Are you near the beginning or are you near the end? And that's a good thought process to to have ideally before uh, <laughs> before the end of the game.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to look at it because you know for us who has a bit of a product and business background, we look at a business as one that has cycles, right? They have explosive growth uh, cycle. They have this whole maturity cycle. And then most businesses either they figure out how to tackle, like capture more of the market and have more explosive growth. Uh, they start tapering off, right? I mean, that's generally speaking the cycle. And so I think that's kind of how you figure out where you are in terms of your investment, whether like how big the growth opportunity is. Are you just milking a old cow or are you riding a rocket ship?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree to your point. Yeah, when you look at like anything that's you know even doing super well or doing super poorly, you know let's say with airline stocks, and assuming they're they're not massively cash flow negative and they have enough money to sustain it for a long period of time, um, you want to think about okay what are the scenarios that could play out, and using coronavirus, what everyone's debating, and frankly, no one knows is the V-shape recovery, the all the different little shapes that everyone's coming up with in terms of recoveries. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, the question is, what is being baked in into these stocks? Um, whether it's railroads, airlines, et cetera, et cetera. So you're just using coronavirus as an example. If you, you did that, all the calculations and things like that, and you realize that people are baking in like three or four years of coronavirus, that might be interesting because then you know from a target point, target price perspective um, there's there's a lot more interesting things that could happen and the probability of such a scenario in your mind may be a low probability which means mm. that this might be an interesting as a long uh, or vice versa for something that's growing super 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 well um, you know let's say a company that's going 30-50% every year and of course everybody already sees that so to, to some extent that's being priced in mm. and then if If the stock is at a certain multiple where that multiple assumes a consistent 30 or 50 percent or even faster growth every single year in for the next five years let's say and you're thinking yeah that seems possible but maybe the probability of that is like 25 percent, and most likely they're not going to do that that might be interesting in, in terms of thinking okay when do i take profit on this long or or something Maybe a short if you're brave enough, things like
0: that. That makes sense, and and I want to just circle back on, on a specific point that you mentioned. So if I'm talking about a stock that um, the entire market thinks will do well because of COVID, let's say. So Peloton is a great example, I think, because I think the business value makes sense before COVID, and the business value got accelerated during COVID, uh, and you know that was the video I basically put out. Um, But to your point, I think we reached a, a price point where it seems to me like people think that COVID is going to last three, four years. That's what the price is telling me. One of my concerns was that the growth projection will at the very least slow down if COVID ends because they're getting free marketing right now. But if everyone is this optimistic, then they're basically assuming that the growth will continue, which to me basically means that the market thinks COVID will continue way longer uh than you know how we're talking about it right now is that the right way to look at it
1: yeah i mean i haven't looked at numbers for peloton but yeah if if <clears throat> if you're looking at the growth numbers and the forecasts um by by sell and what the price is implying then that would absolutely be the right way to look at it i mean ultimately the market is in is in an interesting spot like if you see a valuation where to your point, it's you know, expecting let's use Zoom as a very simple example. If, if the price of Zoom was implying that every single person on earth had you know two and a half Zoom accounts, then that would obviously be <laughs> a super bullish case and, and something where um, you would be one looking to take profits if, uh, if you own the stock, or potentially looking to short if you uh you know to if you were kind of in that camp. Um, I don't know if that's the case, I haven't looked at the stock. But those are the kind of scenarios where you know it's pretty clear what is getting baked in and what's not um that said there's there's also two parts to kind of think about these things um the first part is like what is the what is the business as it stands today what is the growth rate as it stands today um and you know ultimately what is the adoption of you know peloton bike zoom conference software etc mm-hmm. so <clears throat> that's a that's a reasonably um clear way to look at things the second part is you're, you're always also invested in the management team. So depending on um, you know, your, the, your research on these types of management teams, their success historically, um, are they creative? Are they more just like keep the boat steady kind of people? Uh, those things are actually quite important because ultimately that means um, how quickly can a company adapt and perhaps spin up a new, new arm of a business to, to deal with things or, or pivot very very quickly to deal with things. So mm-hmm. you know when you think about Facebook during IPO, actually most people hated Facebook. Uh, and actually mm-hmm. went down everyone's like, yeah, it was such a such a great short. But what actually happened then after that was Mark Zuckerberg was like, holy shit, we know we need this transition from desktop to mobile. I think that did that super, super well. So those are kind of the the <clears throat> management teams that like can execute and can get it. Um, so ultimately that's the second part, the the unknown um, that, that is not really forecastable, but you can sort of understand the type of team based on you know how, how some of these management teams are.
0: That makes sense. And I think one of the biggest takeaways of what you said is that you should take into consideration how capable the, t- the management team is in terms of capturing new value that wasn't already baked in you need that in order for the stock to be essentially worthwhile to be investing in for a swing trade or a short-term trade because otherwise it most likely the value of whatever you think is good is already built into the stock price
1: yeah another way to say that is a more dynamic management team creates more catalysts yeah so yeah. a very you know um maybe not as adventurous management team let's say ibm mm-hmm. um you know there's there's almost nothing that ever happens Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Or or three on that side, right? So mm-hmm. you pretty much know what's gonna be happening for the next five years probably. Yeah. Uh versus you know, some of these other tech companies, especially the more recent IPOs, you know, there's so much that they could potentially capture if the management team, you know, spins up new arms or you know, lands and expands within new new categories.
0: Mm. So let's uh let's see if I can put you on the spot real quick. Um let's talk about something really boring and see if we can figure out if we were to invest into it what should be the exit price does that sound fair sure let's do it okay okay so um a stock that i was actually looking at for a variety of reasons is scott's miracle growth so they basically sell dirt yeah but the interesting thing to me is that they have like i think like three different companies combined at this point uh, mm. and they own a shit ton of the market anything that has to do with dirt if you google dirt on amazon basically like first half of the page is all from scott's miracle growth from Mm -hmm. their uh, top companies. And Mm -hmm. at least the way I look at it, you think the company is pretty boring because it's dirt. It's something that people Mm -hmm. will always need, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Both for home improvement, for gardening, and also a new emerging market. I mean, like it's been emerging for quite a long time, but it's essentially cannabis market, which they need a Mm -hmm. lot of high-end soil essentially, right?
1: Ah, yes. I remember the stock rattling a lot uh, <laughs> many years ago. From, uh, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this stock has uh, seen a lot of up and downs. I mean, I'm just looking at the five-year chart right now. Five years ago, it was 60 bucks, now it's a buck 60-ish, and it's definitely had its up and downs within this uh, time frame. If we just look at this company as something that will continue to grow, as opposed to now mm. there's something interesting and it might grow faster, right? Mm. If we just look at it as a positive gainer, uh, how, would you, like, how would you approach this in terms of figuring out what price I think this stock should be worth in, let's say, a year from now?
1: So I'm not sure which markets they target in terms of like consumer versus corporate, but let's just say you know, it's 50-50 or something. Mm. So let's just say those are the two. And then within each of those, the obviously there's the volume side and the price side. It's literally every single company, every single line item is price times volume. Your income is is price times volume, right? Well volume of one for price of your income. Mm-hmm. Um and every single revenue and cost item is a price uh, and volume equation. So when you think about let's say cost grow your you're hypothesizing that the growth is mainly coming from the corporate side. So we're just talking about cannabis, let's say hypothetically. Okay. So then the question is, okay, let's let's you know get some data on this, uh what does it look like? And then the second part of that is, you know, is the number of cannabis um, companies using Scott's Grow increasing. So that's one part of the volume. That's the volume. But then the second part is the price. So, can they squeeze more uh, price? Like, I don't know, wh- whatever the price of, of fertilizer is, let's say it's a dollar a pound, You're probably wrong that, but mm-hmm. let's say it's a dollar a pound. Sure. If they can move the price to, let's say, a dollar and ten cents a pound, that's quite interesting because ultimately that additional ten cents. But assuming all other costs equal, like the cost of potash and other, other ingredients is equal, yeah. that means that ten that incremental ten cents flows all the way down versus when you generally land, there's a initial cost associated with that, whether it's paying the sales guy or paying additional um, costs for the transportation, etc. Mm-hmm. So the beauty of a of a price increase, price more often flows all the way down to profit. So using trying to understand that. In this case, what's Scott's Grow and, and what's a cannabis? I uh, would be super interested in understanding you know, what's the number of cannabis companies increasing uh, in the US and how many of them use Scott's Grow today? How much? How many of them use Scott's Grow in, by my estimates in a year from now? And what price do they pay? Does that price increase? Does the price decrease? And then you have a really good revenue number, but you also have a really good indicator of what profitability looks like uh, in a year from now as well. And ultimately, that flows all the way down to. Okay, is Scott's will grow? You know, uh, they obviously grew revenue, but are they growing profits faster or not faster? And that's called operating leverage. Tying that all back to valuation, let's say you forecast that out for an additional five years to use a discounted cash flow model, or you forecast it out another one year, let's say to use a price-to-sales multiple or some other type of pe- or price earnings multiple, most likely, uh, then you have a really good indicator of, you know, generally, what does this type of company trade at based on uh, the relevant growth metrics. You can get a sense of what other people will ultimately think uh, when they're valuing this thing. Because at the end of the day, it's nice for yourself to have a price target because it's an indicator of what, how other people value things. I mean, you can create any multiple you want. I mean, a a thousand times press the sales for Scott's go Grow, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter unless you understand how the majority of of the rest of the market also thinks about what is a quote, fair value for Scott's go Grow or or frankly any stock.
0: So just to kind of reiterate, because I think I heard three main points around this discussion. First is the delta of the growth of the market uh, between when you buy and when you would like to sell. If there are markets in this case, like cannabis market, you want to know how big the cannabis market is growing. So you have an idea of how much more this business will be growing within like this one year period. The second point is the delta of the cost of operations, which I think probably the only realistic indicator will be coming from the management team or maybe like industry trends, perhaps. But like the cost in terms of whether their production is going to go down or maybe their Maximizing the scale of economy more, and so that dec- decreases the cost. So that creates a potential for, you know, more value to be had as a shareholder. And then the last point I think I got was the delta of the price of product. I agree with you in that like, it's very interesting because if you increase the price of the product, if everything else stays the same then you're just automatically creating more top line and bottom line. And so that is yep. a, the most obvious way of looking at it. This is a great way to compare your results with what analysts think so that you're not just going blindly with what the analysts say.
1: Exactly, exactly. If you if you look at what these quote analysts are saying, I mean, if you, you've got three different analysts. They're going to have three completely different uh, <laughs> assumptions. Yeah. And uh, they generally, the, those fundamental assumptions are then you know, just randomly, not randomly, but like, uh, they, they end up at a very similar target price based yeah. on a variety of different metrics because no one wants to be too far from the entire target price. Mm-hmm. Uh, the analyst's job is not to get stuck right uh, from the sell side perspective. The analyst's job is to write interesting reports so large funds trade with investment banks and to write interesting reports so that future uh, companies looking to IPO within that space can see uh, this analyst and their firm as a very intelligent player in the space. So mm. the analyst doesn't work for you because you're not getting the analyst.
0: <laughs> so that's a very interesting way to look at it. I never actually thought about it that way. Originally, I was gonna ask you how to figure out when I should sell this stock. But at least based on our current discussion, it sounds more like I should have an idea of when I want to sell. And then based on, let's say I wanna sell it in a year or in a in a three month period, I can figure out what that value is.
1: Yeah, I would say like you should you know, have, have a base assumptions going into you know any results but then you know as the company reports and the company performs in a certain way um you got to be honest with yourself whether the company is actually doing what you think it's doing or you're just completely wrong (laughs) because both those things happen and the third is maybe the company is doing exactly what you think they're doing uh but the rest of the market doesn't care um, mm-hmm. uh, in which case then you're also wrong, but just for a different reason, because you've anticipated the other investors within this stock perf- behave in a certain way, um, which is not true. So one great example of that is like Tesla, right? Like Tesla sells, um, significantly fewer cars than everyone else. And the people that would have hypothetically, I mean, I'm sure before Tesla, I'm sure like those research reports were like, Oh, this is the valuation or the market cap per car
0: yeah or
1: something along those lines. Right. Uh, and Tesla came along and blew that out of the water. So. You know, there's clearly different types of investors within these spaces, um, and that's that's something to be very aware of as well.
0: That's fair. Let me ask you this, because I think this is a very very common way of how new investors look at investing in general. They look at a company like Tesla and they say, "Man, this stock is hot. This business is interesting, and they are in a space that is up and coming." At that point, you'll find some YouTuber or the closest friend is like. Okay, now that I'm invested, how high can it go, right? And as you pointed out, you know, there are these more methodical way of looking at it, more traditional way of looking at it. But, you know, I'm expecting something crazy to happen uh, for the stock split. And I do expect the thing to normalize and go back to the original price. But I'm just saying, like, there's going to be hype and that's going to boost the stock price. That's going to be the unknown, right? Mm -hmm. And, And if that's my play, do you think it's even reasonable to figure out what value I think that should be so that I have a benchmark as to what a selling price, or do you think that's just like voodoo signs at that point?
1: It sort of depends on your investment horizon. So if your investment horizon is like, you know, one year and it sort of hits your target price, or it gets really close to your target price, like um, based on your assumptions, it happened for some totally random reason, like a stock or something, yeah. um, which is super odd. Um, then you might just want to take profits because it's like it's pretty much already there, and then you're waiting for all these things to happen with the stock, whether with the fundamentals, whether it's like you know selling more cars or selling more produce or selling more dirt, mm-hmm. and then it's like okay, well this random thing happened, and you know it's getting to the right price. It, just because it, it happened for a, a totally random reason doesn't make it, you know, not money. <laughs> so you don't take profit. <laughs> yeah. Um. In in my opinion, uh, unless you're super long term and you're like okay. You know, I'm investing this in my IRA or something and like, you know, this thing is still compound every 30% for the next like 20 years and I'm happy to hold it. If that's your play, then keep it.
0: That's fair. But let me let me ask you this in a different way. Sometimes I do uh, quarter earning trades. So Mm -hmm. I have an idea about a company. I buy in like two weeks before the earnings come out because I have an indication. In my opinion, an edge that tells me that there's going to be surprise involved and that, as we talked about in the past, creates explosive growth. The question here is that should I bother coming up with a number of what that exit number should be three weeks from now? Or should I just be happy that there was a positive outcome?
1: So you bought a stock and then you wait for the results and you you want to say whether you you should have a target price in mind or if it hits a certain price you should sell
0: yeah like if i'm if i'm just playing the earnings game i'm saying like three weeks from now i think the stock's gonna go up and then Mm. and then should i come up with a price of what that uh what that exit should be or should i just be happy that the stock did go up like i thought it was gonna uh and sell Uh or yeah the stock did go up the news was positive like i thought but mm-hmm. perhaps it should have gone higher and I'm like, I, I'm having FOMO right now. Should I hold on? You know what
1: I mean? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I guess two, two parts to that, right? One is whether an incident will happen. In this case, let's say a stampede of additional investors coming in. Yeah. And the second part is, uh, so that's binary. It's either going to happen or not happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the second part is the quantification of that. Is it going to be a lot of investors with a lot of cash or, or, or not? Yeah. Um, and I think for something like, my personal opinion, for something like three weeks, there's probably not that much fundamentals that are going to change in three weeks. Mm-hmm. So if it is, and especially if it's some type of like, like announcement of, there's a, I don't know, a hypothetical stock split or some type of um, announcement where it takes many, many years to play out and, and maybe it's just a short-term bump. I think it's super hard to be able to say, hey, this, this should be a 15% increase versus a, 25 percent increase i mean those are that's just a function of like almost how many people read the news or how many people react in a certain way but you as long as you are able to get kind of identify the fact that people will will react in a certain way in the first place you know that's that's good enough um you know mm. just knowing that the sun is going to come out in this case <laughs> is valuable enough yeah uh, you know you, you, i don't think you need to calculate the trajectory of the sun
0: okay okay my interpretation of what you just said is that if i think i have an edge on the earnings coming out for a particular business uh, that i think the analyst missed something and it's going to get more eyeballs onto the stock that i want to invest in and it's going to create a growth opportunity if the stock goes up i should most likely take profit you know with the news that just came out i can essentially map out what the long-term potential price is because that's essentially confirmation for what i think the gain is uh and mm-hmm. that gain shouldn't be a short-term thing right because it's a business strategy
1: yeah so within that if it's like the announcement is like something super random and you know not lasting in terms of actual fundamental power mm-hmm. um then it's like yeah you know just take weight, whatever you get yeah. um and the other hand is like you know if if slack announces is that they're gonna go super Aggressive against zoom or something and let's say hypothetically people like that, you know, that's a that's a real long-term potential business change yeah. in which case, you know, maybe maybe you keep keep holding on to it depending on what the, what the stock does So it sort of depends on whether it's a really short-term thing or it's a it's a, it's a real kind of ever, Everlasting meaningful strategic core change.
0: Okay So I think that's a really interesting point You just touched on because I think that is uh, effectively what I'm, I'm trying to get at at least the way I was taught how to trade stocks there's that whole thing like uh, the idea of like good news last one day bad news last two kind of thing have you heard of that saying before i've not heard that say <laughs> <laughs> it was in a book somewhere but anyway um i mean i guess what i'm saying is like you know if the news came out positive should i be collecting gains and expecting to buy on the low even if the news is supposed to be like a long-term thing or you think that's just like a crapshoot and i should really look at it more long-term than that does that make sense? Uh,
1: yeah, I think it depends on the stock. So if it's like, let's say it's um, it's a company that is, is capital intensive, so like some big factory, you know, relator or something like that, where mm-hmm. you know you gotta invest a billion dollars in a factory in order to actually do something. Mm-hmm. Um, they may have a huge balance because they got a new order from, from somebody. And that may be terrific news. Mm-hmm. But the next step is, okay, now we got to invest a few hundred million dollars or a billion dollars to build a plant independent of the size of the company. Let's, it's, let's just say, hypothetically, that's taken as a negative news. Mm-hmm. So in that case, I would probably take profits because it's going to be a while before they really fulfill those orders. You're only, only going to be really recognizing those those bookings, as revenues, mm-hmm. uh, when you actually sell that to, to the end customer. So in the middle, you're gonna have mat- this massive capital expenditure expense, uh, which, you know, is, is sometimes is taken positively, uh, depending on, again, the investor base, but you gotta think about whether, you know, you're you're kind of okay just sitting there for, you know, six months or most likely a year, year, year and a year and a half to build that factory and just waiting there um, for that. So <clears throat> it sort of depends on kind of that side, I would say. The other side is like, if it's a software company uh, and they just they say something very strategic and th- the stock gaps up like 30, 40 percent and you're thinking okay well you know are they actually going to do this or not going to do this um, again it sort of depends on you know does the software exist or do they do they have to invest uh, two hundred million dollars and to build the software and also develop uh, a sales team and a go to market team or they they just create this really small thing. And is it going well? So, so one example of that is uh, mobile gaming companies, right? So, mobile gaming companies are, you know, they come up with like tens of tens of games a year, or if not, if not more, depending on the company. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes they report like, hey, you know, this game is doing really, really well. Um, And then, you know, that game already exists; it's already doing well; it's only gaining more momentum. So, in that case, if something gaps up uh, 20%, then that's probably gonna continue and not bounce back the next day because a game still exists uh, and it's, it's still continuing. So that's the way I would think about it. Is it a big jump because of something that's a great idea but requires a lot of execution risk? Or is it something that people didn't really see, wasn't on people's radar? But exists and is already gaining momentum, and you're just kind of waiting for the for that momentum to to continue.
0: That's a really good point because I think this is uh, this comes down to especially with uh, the fact that we're essentially in a bubble and people trade uh, create trade frenzies. Uh, people are interpreting positive news all the same way, uh, and so like if the positive news actually takes a long time to actually execute. Then I should probably take profits sooner because soon enough, like these investors will realize the stock is gonna be boring for a bit. Um, yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Hmm. Very interesting. This is actually, uh, on a side note, this is actually why I sold Disney, man, because I mean, I <laughs> love I love the brand, and they're definitely. I feel like they're cutting the arms to save the torso right now, uh, <clears> and I a hundred percent agree with what they're doing. Uh, cutting off, like, you know. Non-core business functions, basically, and leaning even harder into digital. But I just think that it'll take time for that execution to actually be worthwhile and actually show up on the balance sheet, because um, they they're slumping at like 42 percent of their usual top line, and that's massive, massive amount yeah. of money. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I think people. It, it seems to me the market is rewarding people more for growth than for uh, cost cuts. Like when. Someone reports 30 or 40% year on your growth or something like that. People are like, oh, shit, that's nice. And, you know, stock sometimes goes up depending on, depending on the expectations. But it doesn't seem like people, it doesn't seem like the average investor in this market is saying, oh, you guys cut costs so well. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So the last thing I want to touch on is, and I think you actually answered this question in, in so many ways, but um if I set a price target, and an example is this genius brand international that we talked about where it's a penny stock right now, and the management team is fascinating, and they're hiring all sorts of interesting people. By the way, did you watch Spongebob as a kid? I did not. Okay, well, apparently they hired the, uh, the lead writer for Spongebob as, to their team. I mean, like, it's, I, I think it's freaking fascinating. Uh, how many how many top line people they've hired and they diluted the stocks so much that they've raised fifty million dollars in the bank for like, <laughs> it, it's it's fascinating how how much advantage they're taking from the shareholders. But frankly, I think I mean like if you're a business, you're you're looking at how to make this business sustainable. I I frankly don't blame them, right? <laughs> I mean it's an asshole thing to do. <laughs> it's an asshole thing to do, but like. <laughs> Um I guess what I'm getting at though is that like you know they're they're executing to the strategy that they've always talked about you know they're um capturing more TV shows they just acquired Yu-Gi-Oh like 200 different episodes they're planning on launching um new stuff in the beginning of next year and then they also have started launching toys in all sorts of like you know partner with Mattel and launch all sorts of toys in all sorts of marketplaces so To me, that is a long-term growth strategy. Whether they work or not, that's a long-term growth strategy, right? I mean, like that shit's going to build momentum ideally and eventually be worth something ideally a year from now as opposed to what it is now. Whether you think that this revenue is going to be a lot or not, if I say that I think that this business is going to be making, let's say, $50 million a year, that's like 10x what they are at right now. Just making stuff up right now just to make things simple, right? Mm -hmm. If I put that out there, for some reason they announced the news uh in a super positive way and this stock jumps ten X. I'm expecting this business to be long tail and it, the end result is supposed to be a year from now after all of these execution like compound into a worthwhile company with good financials. Instead, they announced some really, really good news, kinda like what you insinuated, right? Like they basically said that You know, for whatever company they said that, like, uh, we're gonna do this as a long term strategy, and then people think this Mm. is the hottest shit now. Uh, and the stock price jumps up. Do you think I should be looking at this company in a different light in terms of, like, I don't know, the PE ratio is uh measured incorrectly, kind of like how Tesla is right now, right? I mean, that's kind of how I'm looking at it, or do I think that this is like everybody's looking at this company wrong and I should sell and take profits immediately.
1: Let's just say it jumps to 50 bucks. So it's a buck six right now, a buck 60 or
0: something? It's a dollar and 60 cents, yes.
1: Got it, so let's just say it jumps to a hundred just to make the math easy. So if it jumps to a hundred tomorrow and your target price is a hundred, that was supposed to to happen in let's say, uh, 12 or 24 months from now,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: ignore the fact that it's a buck 60 right now, just just imagine the stock is a hundred bucks right now. Mm -hmm. And your price is 100 would you still buy the stock? And the answer is probably no. So it's all about what happens in reality versus expectations. And that's where opportunity comes in. That's why stocks move ultimately, because of reality versus expectations. So if the reality that is being implied based on, let's say, a hundred dollar stock price is also equal to your expectations, um, or let's just say another way, other people's expectations of reality are the same as yours, And that's fully reflected in the stock and then the stock and the company actually reports fundamentals that are exactly what everyone expected um the stock's not going to move so Mm. that's um if if the stock went 100 and your target price is 100 i would be like yeah i'd sell nothing doesn't matter that i have to now versus 12 months from now
0: Mm. at the current stock price am i willing to buy it if i didn't hold it right
1: exactly
0: that's actually a really great way to look at it
1: yeah, you gotta remove the emotion out of uh, everything. Just wake up every day fresh. You're not you from yesterday, that's
0: it. say. <laughs> that's fair. All right, John, I think that was super, super useful. I think we have a better idea in terms of why we want to set an expectation of an exit strategy before we buy. We also discussed on how to ideally figure that out from the perspective of a professional and also, you know, look at it from an angle of uh, perhaps being too optimistic Uh, figuring out how to look at hype and how to deal with those kind of situations. Is there anything else you want to add before we log off today?
1: No, it's great talking as always. Thank you.
0: Great. Thanks a lot for your time, John. I'll see you next time.
1: All right. right. Take care. Bye.